Hey guys, just before we launch into this week's episode, we wanted to tell you about an awesome new business podcast we've discovered called Socialette. In each episode, fellow Lady Brain Steph Taylor chats about online marketing strategies, providing you with practical tools and tactics you can use to grow your business. Just search Socialette on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and enjoy. I had to travel from Camden to the city on Bathurst Street every day and I had to be at my desk by 8am. And I still remember I used to get paid and I used to withdraw the money, which at that time was obviously not a lot. And I used to put like, okay, $40 is your petrol money, whatever it was, $30 is your train fare. And I used to put it in little different sections in my wallet. So you just like knew this is all you have, this is your rent money, and there was kind of like obviously nothing left at the end. Hey, welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert, the overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin, Anna, and Maeva. Now get comfy, fellow Lady Brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Alison Rice is a bit of a unicorn in the digital media world. She's kind, humble, and above all, she's real. If you're not in media land, you may not know her by name, but we're sure you know her work. Alison is the group publisher of Allure Media's women's lifestyle division and oversees the digital brands Who What Wear, Birdie Beauty, Pop Sugar, and My Domain. Today's conversation is not one of entrepreneurship or of a business that was birthed in the golden age of Instagram, but it is a story of passion, dedication and hustle and a lesson in making your dreams come true. We sat down with Alison recently to chat about how a little girl from Western Sydney who failed her HSC has become one of the most influential women in the Australian media landscape today. Your story is a bit elusive. We did try and do a bit of digging just mm. to get a, a bit of insight or maybe we're just terrible researchers, but I'd love to know a little bit more about your childhood and where you've come from and what you were like growing up? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because when I thought about it myself, I haven't actually spoken much about my story before digital. Mm. I feel like I am a good example of dreaming big and working really hard. And I don't want to sound cliche when I say that because it's my Truth, absolutely. I came from a disadvantaged background. It wasn't traumatic, but I didn't grow up in an environment where everything was given to me and my path wasn't laid out for me. And so the work that I had to do when I was young was really figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be in my life. And um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about manifesting and Um, mood boards and visualizing your future. But I did a lot of that when I was young, but it's only now on reflection that I realized I was, I realized that I was doing that as I was growing up. So I came from, um, I guess, a very sort of middle-class family. I grew up in Bradbury, which is close to Campbelltown. And then we moved over to Norellan when I was just about to start year six, actually. So I went to a new school for sixth grade. And that was actually really difficult now that I reflect back on that as well, kind of at that age where you kind of established your friend circle and sort of ingratiated yourself into 
primary school and the community there and then kind of being lifted out of that and put into a new school. But I do think that that experience also helped me build resilience quite young-ish. So high school for me was complex. I didn't like it. I didn't feel like I had my footing. I think there was a perception that as I got to sort of year nine, year 10 and 11, I was in the, um, I guess, the popular group, but we didn't identify as that as a group. And it was guys and girls. And that was my first real experience of making guy friends. And today they're my best friends and my, my boyfriends. So that was an interesting learning for me as a woman is that I'm obviously, and you guys know, a huge supporter of women and I really value my female friendships, Mm. but I've also had a lot of really great men around me in my life that have shaped me to the woman I am today. Yeah. And then I, um, I flunked my HSC. (laughs) So that's probably not widely known, but there you go. Um, (laughs) I really excelled in a class called Society and Culture. And I really excelled at English. So I've always been a really good writer. Um, and that's something that is in me. And I didn't have to try very hard. I didn't like reading the books on syllabus. So I never read them. I think we had Catcher in the Rye. Mm. And I just winged my way through. <laughs> Love that. it. Um, I dropped maths. I dropped science. Anything that I felt like I was quickly failing at, I moved on from. And that's been a real learning for me in my career as well. So I've always been, I think, quite, um, pragmatic like that, like, okay, you're just not good at that, so stop forcing it. And that's also my sort of leadership style and the way I develop our team as well. Mm. But we can talk more about that. Um, So my parents actually separated two weeks before my HSE. And at the time, you know, I've done a lot of, a lot of reflection and work since that time, self-work. And what I've identified about myself is I am quite Pollyanna. I have that Pollyanna syndrome where I'm like, it's okay. I'm all good. We're fine. It's fine. Mm. So I didn't really process it as it was happening. And I think probably too much for somebody that age coming up to that huge sort of set of exams, just to think too hard about those big picture things in life going on. But, you know, on reflection, it, it did create a lot of instability for me in my home life. And for that reason, I spent a lot of time away from home between the ages of sort of 16 and 18. So I actually moved out of home for the first time when I was 16. Wow. And I lived with one of my close girlfriends. I'm sure she won't mind me saying Abby. Hello, Abby. (laughs) But she's always been such a solid woman for me. But I lived with her for a time. And that really, now that I think back, it was just escaping. It was just trying to get some calm because I do, I'm a real homebody. I'm a cancer. So I like to be at home. I like everything to be as it should. Mm. Um, I like really soft lighting. I like to be warm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I tried to, I realized now I tried to create that for myself. So I lived with her for a time and I moved back home. And then shortly after the HSC, I moved out of home again. And I moved into my own apartment actually in Camden. And how old were you at this point? So I must've been about 18. Mm. And I remember the rent was $165. And at the time I was like, that is so much money. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I kind of, when I did the exams, I knew I'd flunked them. So I didn't kind of go into it, fingers crossed. I kind of went into it mm. going, I'm not actually here mentally and able to apply myself. So I did a lot of prepping myself for what was going to be a bad mark. So I wasn't surprised when I got the mark I got, mm-hmm. which meant I couldn't go to uni. 
which was a huge dream of mine. I would be the first person in my family to go to uni. And I felt a real sense of failure, I think, at that point to say, okay, I haven't done it. But I also felt like it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. So I always had that thing that was like, it's just not right now. And again, on reflection, that's a huge part of my success story is that I had all of these obstacles in front of me um, and I really built resilience and not intentionally. I just had to sort of fight my way through. So I was doing that. I was in a, um, a pretty complex relationship at that time and I'd been with him for some time, about five years. I think we broke up when I was about 21. But he was my first big love, so there, that was a big theme in my life at that time. So I was probably more focused on that mm. than what was I going to be mm. <laughs> uh, and the ambition thing. Did you have any yeah. sense of direction at that time or were you sort of just trying out a few things, some work, some study? Yeah, I definitely knew at that point I wanted to write mm. and I had identified that I was a good writer. And for me, that was just, this comes really naturally. I don't have to try too hard. I'm not saying I was a great writer then. I'm pretty embarrassed about the stuff I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, back yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, If you find out my maiden name, oh. you can Google some of Alison's early work on the oh, internet. <laughs> we do that. <laughs> just don't judge me. It was, yeah, oh, gosh, it was not good. So, yeah, I definitely think I knew I wanted to go to uni and I wanted to study journalism at that time but I also knew that the education system is structured in a way that it doesn't matter how bad you want it or how ambitious you are you've got to have this dumb fucking mark mm-hmm. that allows so you to true. sort of live out your dreams yeah. mm. frustrating mm. Yeah. and I'm really glad that that's shifting now that we're finding untraditional pathways into mm. careers that we're passionate about so I did the hard yards actually for quite some time I ended up getting a job at um MBF, you know, the uh, health, is that what's called, the oh, healthcare? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've got such a mixed bag. Um, <laughs> and so I had to travel from Camden to the city on Bathurst Street every day and I had to be at my desk by 8 a.m. And how and far was that? That was a long way. I would leave home at about 5.30, wow. 6. Yeah. to drive from Camden to Campbelltown Station, park, still dark, very cold, mm. get on the train. I remember I had this like um, little Daihatsu charade and I paid a thousand. I bought off my nan <laughs> and she made, well, you made me pay for it. I was like a thousand dollars. So I saved up for like a year, literally <laughs> putting like, has pay my rent, buy my food, put a little bit of money away for the car. So I bought that, um, didn't know how to drive a manual, so I had to taught myself how to drive this big <laughs> stick. And I still remember I used to get paid and I used to withdraw the money, which at that time was obviously not a lot, and I used to put like, okay, $40 is your petrol money, whatever it was, $30 is your train fare, and I used to put it in little different sections in my wallet. So you just like knew this is all you have, this is your rent money, and there was kind of like obviously nothing left at the end. Um <laughs> I did a lot of op, sh- op shopping then. But at MBF, I spent, I think, close to a year there. I still remember I was paid $250 a week. Wow. What were you doing that's there? That's illegal. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's it was definitely. Yeah. Um, it was like some sort of graduate program right, okay. they had. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it was. I found the ad in the paper and, and called client. up and vintage. went for an interview. It was so vintage. <laughs> 
Um, and I'm only 32, guys. <laughs> Old. Um, you painted a picture and you're much older than you are. Back when we read the paper. <laughs> yeah. um, I used to have to process health um, fund claims and I still remember it was like an, um, I don't even know what it's called, like an analogue computer system. Mm-hmm. What was like DOS? DOS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm only 32. <laughs> and at that time even I was like, gosh. And I remember it was like black screen and you could pick the colour that you wanted the font to be. Yeah. And yeah. I had like bright purple. <laughs> um, but basically I had a quota of claims I had to put through every day and I hated it. Mm. I cried mm. all the time. I think I was going to get like it was some sort of graduate program where you got on-the-job experience and you ended up with some sort of business certificate or something or rather, but it was something I needed in order to apply for the university degree. Like they had a few things you had to do to go mature age. So that was the reason I was doing that. And then um, I went through a really bad breakup with my boyfriend at the time. And, again, we'd been together for like five years, so it was like, you know, catastrophic. Mm -hmm. It was just severe, very traumatic, and I didn't do well with that at all. And when that happened, I packed up and I went to the UK to live with my dad for a while. So when my parents separated their British, he went back to live in the UK. My mum stayed here. So I called him and got on a plane and then spent about four or so months in the UK. Like, I guess that was my finding myself trip. Mm. And I spent some time um, in London at that time as well. I interned at a place called Frontline, which is a really reputable journalism foundation, I guess. And that was really inspiring to me and that kind of reignited the fire to go and be a journalist. And that actually counted on the quota of what I needed to do in order to prove that I would be able to study mature age. And then from there I applied, ended up getting into um, UWS and, yeah, I always say I'm like the best from the West because <laughs> that was also a phenomenal uni. And I think the best thing that ever happened to me was that I didn't get in when I was 18 because mm. I think I really would have fucked that up, mm. especially with the breakup and stuff, like letting that be who I was then and not focusing on the career thing. But going when I was older, which I guess I was like 22 mm-hmm. then, 21, 22, I was older than everyone in my sort of year and I was serious about it and I applied myself. I met my best friend at uni, so I just actually was a bridesmaid in her wedding a few weeks ago, Sam. So, again, just like another core woman in my life who saw me and I think saw all of me in our first few weeks and we really connected. So did that and then got an internship at the Walkley Foundation, I think while I was still at uni, you know, I have to do it as part of your course, yeah, and that's kind of the start of my proper career story. So it's all that stuff and then working at the Walkleys, interning at the Walkleys, then working at the Walkleys was kind of the the point for me where I realised, okay, I really want to do this. So both of those kind of internship opportunities, Frontline when you're in London and then the Walkley, they're quite hard to get into, very reputable yeah. What was that process serious, like? Um, mm-hmm. Journalism foundations, yeah. actually. And it was amazing to be in organisations like that while you're still really malleable, you know, mm. where you everything around you, you're kind of so receptive. So they really set the bar for me in terms of writing and also the responsibility of what it means to be a journalist. Um, and I've transferred a lot of that thinking 
and I guess approach to content to women's lifestyle media now. So I've always had more of a highbrow approach to our editorial strategy than say five ankle boots under $10. Like, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, so I've really, really tried to um, elevate our editorial through the learnings that I had from from those foundations. And, and they were really, um, I love this concept of stretch and, you know, there's what you're comfortable to do and then there's also that period of stretch where you feel ultimately quite uncomfortable. Mm. But I was in a stretch period interning because I already felt way out of my depth. But I had formally applied to the Walkleys through uni, I think, at that time. I actually think they had called for interns and everyone was like, oh, I want to work at a magazine. So, mm-hmm. Whereas I actually thought, mm, that sounds really juicy and interesting. And with Frontline, I actually cold called them to say I was going to be in London and here's what I think I can here's where I think I can help. And it was exactly as you'd imagine. I could get coffee. I could transcribe interviews, you know. Um, I could look after people's calendars and schedules. I love doing that stuff now still. <laughs> um, so that one was a little bit different. I think that that was a very early learning of pitch yourself with how you can add value and make their life easier versus what you think they can do for you. I have a lot of that when people either apply for roles in the interview process now or reach out to me on Instagram or email. It's all about them a lot of the time and part of the coaching that I do back is like I'm just going to give you some unsolicited advice um, wherever I can is I want to know more about how you can help me actually. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and then at the Walkleys that was probably not in the beginning the most interesting work I've ever done. I was updating a database of 500 people, calling them and saying, is this still your name? Is this still your address? Is this, yeah, still the correct phone number for you? And I'd like enter that in, say, make my way <laughs> next to one. the next one. <laughs> um, I guess as anyone will tell you with interning, just like never complain, just mm. smile on your face. So I did that. I had a real connection with um, a lady called Mary Cotter who has become or did become an early mentor for me and also emceed my wedding. Um, So she's still a very important woman in my life. So we connected um, on a level that was kind of outside of the job description, I would say, or the intern description. Again, another woman who saw me, all of me, and that's something I try really hard to do now is see people and see women Mm -hmm. because it's really hard in those times to show your value and I'm really good and I promise I'll work really hard and you know, you're too nervous to be like, should I go and talk to that person or mm. should I offer, am I going to be annoying? So all we, what our responsibility as the employer or the manager or the person running the internship is to give an entry point just for people to show themselves, I think, and, and make it easier because, you know, what it's like interning and no one talks to you. Mm. Like I think that's just so disappointing. Mm. Like if you're going to have interns in your business, it's on us to also provide an experience that's quite memorable for them. And just remembering what it was like for you, like, bloody hell, it was hard. Mm-hmm. But so Mary Mary contacted me. I'd finished the internship and she emailed me a few weeks later and said, hey, there's an opportunity at um, News Limited. It was like a charity um, project. And she said, I think you'd be really helpful. Um, do you want to go and do it? And I was like, yeah. So I went and did that. And, again, it was like not 
probably the most interesting work I've ever done, but I met really great people, got a good reference. And then a job came up at the Walkleys and Mary called me to interview me for that. And it was a project um, manager, I think at the time. And that I did for, I think, gosh, about three or four years. And that was probably the biggest, some of my biggest learning years because the work was so diverse, but it also put me in a role where I was able to contact writers that I admired. Like there isn't many other places except the Walkley Foundation where you Mm. can get any journalist email. (laughs) Um, So that was, yeah, amazing experience. Um, It opened me up to a network of people I'm still in contact with now. Mm. And I think it just put a really credible line item on my CV you know, and that I stuck it out at that age as well. Again, obviously the pay wasn't tremendous, but it was at that time that I decided to move out of Camden and into the city because it was the commute was obviously a bit of a killer. Yeah, yeah I moved into a bed sit in um, Paddington, which I guess out loud sounds, I think, quite romantic. <laughs> it does. Uh, it wasn't. Um, it was on the rougher side of Paddington. Because <laughs> I was always like, is this Paddington? Or? Yeah, we walked through the rough side. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, it's got a lot of colour. And I lived there for two years and I had to share a bathroom with everyone in the house. There was a lot of, um, it used to be like an outpatient house for people who were recovering from day surgery or something back in the day. But I love history and I've got a real um, connection to like the Victorian era mm. for some reason. Um, like I love Downton Abbey <laughs> or just like any, yeah. I think so. Oh, I, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I absolutely think so. Like mm. me in a garden yes. in a hut reading a book. I can <laughs> yeah. see it. Like waiting for a man to ride in with a letter. Yeah. Like that is like <laughs> my jam. <laughs> completely opposite to my life now, obviously. Yeah. Um, But I lived there. I met some really interesting people in that house as well. The owner of the house was very fascinating and she took me through the history of the house. So I think I've always had that Mm. attraction to stories and storytelling. I had an amazing man who lived um, next door to the building I was living in and there wasn't parking and he made his private parking available to me and he actually um, was a war veteran and he had, um, what's it called, a track? Uh, a trachea. Trachea. Yeah, so he had to, you know, when he had to cover, yeah, yeah, before he spoke. He was just the most um, gentle man. And I think think back on that, like a lot of young women may have been perhaps a bit um, scared or defensive in a situation like that, but he was just the kindest guy and he really looked after me. He would open his roller door. He'd hear me drive up Mm. every day and he would open his roller door help me park my car, how was your day, like have a lovely evening. And it's I had people around me like mm. that that I just never expected to have support from and I think it's um, a big part of my success now is how I interacted and treated people like that around me at that time and um, acknowledged them, saw them, heard them, um, felt supported by them. But I lived there, I had to pay in cash every week in an envelope with my name on it and there was like a slot in the wall that fed into a safe and so it was this rule like by Friday at this time you had to have like your cash in the wall. Sounds a bit dodgy. It does. <laughs> I know. So but I never really thought about it. Yeah. I did it. I'll just say yes. Um, and I had this beautiful pink bike um, 
And it's not until I met um, Tony's a whole other thing we can go into. He put a basket on my bike. <gasps> what a oh. man when I first met him. <laughs> um, and I used to ride around on my bike. I could only shop op shops because all vintage. It definitely wasn't vintage. It was just second hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I didn't have any money. And, um, yeah, I mean, cabs were just like a foreign concept to me. Mm. I just rode everywhere. I walked everywhere. I put it on my Instagram as well. I had $45 to buy food every week then and I had a real process of making a shopping list and making sure I had enough money when I got to the register and then I would put like bags on either side of my bike and like balance all the way home and like hike it all up the steps. And I just used to live off spaghetti bolognese because that's my favourite meal. Actually, my mum's spaghetti bolognese I love. I haven't quite mastered that art yet, <laughs> but I used to make that on a Sunday and basically eat it every night. So I got a bit fat. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I was At least you didn't starve. No, I definitely didn't starve. I was just a, um, a rounder version yeah. of myself. Yeah. Mum was always like, you're very healthy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I look back on those years um, with a lot of fond memories and then I jumped ship out of the Walkleys and went into a one-year contract at what was then ACP Magazines to be a sub-editor and a writer on Foxtel Magazine. What was the impetus behind that change? Was it just... Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to learn how to be a better writer mm. and I I wasn't getting the opportunity to write a lot at the Walkleys. I think I had a little blog. I had a Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> or a blog spot. yeah. I never had a blog spot, but I had a Tumblr and I used to just put like New Yorker cartoons up and stuff. <laughs> um, I think that was some sort of like, I'm intelligent. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. Um, and that was a bit of fun, um, but I, I wasn't writing a lot and I wanted to write a lot. My today self would tell myself, you should have applied yourself outside of hours and written more in your own time. But of course, we're like, I don't get to write here. So I I took a subbing role. I went for a subbing role because I'd heard from a lot of journalists that I'd met through the Walkley Foundation, learning how to sub helped them become better writers because you just write cleaner. Mm. And so that was my ambition actually was just if I have to sub a lot of copy over a 12-month period, will that make me a better writer? And it absolutely did. And I think it's subbing is one of those things I would recommend anyone who wants to be a journalist or a writer either does a subbing course or spends some time working as a sub because what a lot of people don't realise is it's actually the sub that polishes a story to what you read anywhere in whatever publication you love. It's unfortunately a dying art now because there's a lack of investment Mm. in subbing. So when I see errors in newspapers and stuff and, gosh, we have them not um, much, but we do have them um, on our sites as well um, because it's always been a juggle to figure out where you need to put your investment. But it was, yeah, it was a good year. I had a, um, you know, without wanting to spend too much time on it, I had a challenging boss and that taught me a lot about how I wanted to lead. So I thought that was good to go through that experience. Mm -hmm. I had a really fantastic deputy editor, Peter Duggan, who taught me just a bunch, and she was super generous with her time. And she was someone I clocked and went, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to make sure I spend time with the young people around me, helping them be better. Mm. And then I finished the contract and took the leap. By then I'd met my husband, Tony, 
and I took the leap to um, freelance and he allowed me um, financial stability to do that. So I'm not really sure what I would have done had I not have had his support Mm. at that time. Mm. And, again, he was someone who saw me and saw my talent early and wanted to give me the space to be able to explore it. So I spent, I guess, about nine months freelancing and I did some amazing um, features writing for Grazia at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody who I worked with at the Walkley's, John T. Est, who's an amazing journo back in the UK now, his wife was the news editor at Grazia at the time. So, again, it's obviously all about relationships and who you know. Yeah, I was just going to say, how did you cultivate that work? Was it all through your networks? Yeah, Yeah. um, I definitely had, knowing the people I knew through working at the Walkleys, Mm. I knew I also had um, an entry point to introduce myself, if nothing else, to say, hey, you may remember me from the Walkleys and that automatically put me in a different league than, hi, I'm just just some rando. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, Max who was the news editor, John T's wife. She's also a fantastic writer and someone I really looked up to. Um, so I think, again, she saw me and knew I had talent and she commissioned me. It was amazing. It was $2.50 a word. It's unheard of these mm. days. <laughs> um, so, you know, like 1,000-word article was mm. pretty decent. So yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, and done for the week. Right? <laughs> yeah. No more spaghetti um, and meatballs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And... Um, I remember I wrote a piece about, um, I'd pitched a piece to her about young women being raped by taxi drivers because mm-hmm. there was a case in the news at that time and it quickly made me realise that I was very interested in tackling bigger issues mm-hmm. impacting young women mm-hmm. and so that I think was a bit of a spark for me that said, okay, there's something here. Um, so it's all relative um, when you kind of get into a role like I'm in now and you look back. Um, so I was, yeah, I also did pieces in bullying and um, people who had gone through depression and or women who had gone through depression. So I definitely was like, I guess perhaps from my experience at the Walkleys, I was more confident to tackle more complex social issues and, and topics. And then actually our now celebrity editor, well, I am friends with her, was a friend of hers. She sent me a job ad to Pop Sugar and said, hey, this website's looking for a um, weekend editor, like it might supplement your income a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for it and I got it. And um, that's literally my today's story. I was the weekend editor of Pop Sugar I had to work from home. It was like seven till four, Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. So definitely not the most glamorous mm-hmm. job in the world. <laughs> but I had already then identified that I wanted to work in digital. So I was very interested in what was happening in that space. And and this is when like, I mean, yes, Blogspot was it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so digital was still like, well, digital was blogging essentially mm. and you weren't a writer, you were a blogger and that was kind of um, mm. not respected, yeah. Mm. Yeah. certainly in um, particular a journalism circles. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and publications were still kind of not seeing it as a future or anything they needed to really look at too hard. But I, I've always been an early adopter, so I was on Pinterest when it launched. You had to have an invitation to pin. Mm. 
so yeah. I got an invitation. I don't even know how that happened. Yeah, I, how think I, remember. I think I remember. I remember yeah. too. You yeah. had yeah. to get referred. Or you you did. had to get referred and then you had to apply yeah. for yeah. an invitation yeah. to pin. So yes. I've literally been, I love Pinterest. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have Alison Rice underscore? <laughs> 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 okay. I think that's what it is. Um, and then I was on Instagram really early. Actually, the yeah. night I met my husband, I was on Instagram. Um, like I always laughed. I was like, scroll, scroll. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> scroll, scroll. Two bitches. Um, yeah. And so digital for me was interesting early on. Um, and I did that weekend job for not long, a few months, four months. And then I kept, like, I started coming in every other day mm-hmm. as they needed help. And then the beauty editor at the time had moved on to a magazine and I kind of thought, oh, that looks fun and interesting. But, you know, as we do, I was like, I'm not qualified mm-hmm. and I don't know anything about beauty and I don't have the contacts or, you know, the writing experience. But not knowing that actually then I was just, I was a good writer. I was a solid writer. Mm, yeah. I was a clean writer and you can really apply that to any topic because it's all about research, great interviews, right? So then I waited a little bit and then they hadn't been successful filling the position because at that time nobody wanted to be an online beauty editor, like Mm. ill. (laughs) Um, It was like magazines or dust. Yeah. Um, And this was like 2011 or 12, um, so not that long ago, which is like quite scary, terrifying. (laughs) Um, And so then I said to my publisher at the time, like, I actually think I could do this. And, yeah, she was really generous in giving me a go because beauty is all about contacts. It's yeah. a very, very commercial industry and um, it's a really important vertical to any sort of publishing business. So she did go out on a limb saying, okay, I could probably get somebody in who's got the contacts and could hit the ground running, but I'm just so bloody resourceful. I kind of, mm. and a lot of common sense, so I just got it quickly. That said, okay, I understand um, how this works. And from there, I stuck my hand up to launch health and fitness because I thought what a great opportunity to launch a new vertical. So then I did health and beauty. And then when my publisher went on maternity leave, I remember I'd just gotten married and I was on my honeymoon and I said to Tony, you know, I could do that job. Like I would be a really good cover. It would be great experience. I really think I could do it. And, but again, you're like, I'm not qualified yeah. and there's always that self-talk yeah. that kind of oh self-doubt that imposter yeah. syndrome mm-hmm. um, and so I didn't put my hand up and I got back from my honeymoon and my publisher at the time I remember we met real because we used to start at 7 a.m sharp <laughs> we used to have to write 10 stories a day one every hour oh my gosh I was like that's ruthless wow. it was that's ruthless but that's how we grew our audience back then yeah. so yeah. um very different now but it was an output game. Yeah. Um, so I remember we met quite early in the morning and um, I do get fuzzy on the details because it feels like a really long time ago now, but the conversation sounded a bit like we think you might be good at this mm-hmm. and we've had a look out there and, you know, we can't sort of help thinking that the right person might be right in front of us. And I was like, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, so that was my sort of entry into the publisher role. So I did the acting role for 12 months. And then um, my publisher at the time, she decided to focus on her young family. But while I was doing that mat leave cover, we actually started the deal on who or where. Mm-hmm. And so that was always going to be what I did after the Pop Sugar cover. 
was launching what we're in Australia and it took 12 months mm-hmm. for that to land and every day in the shower I'm not kidding you my husband Tony's like you're a freak I I'm a huge believer in manifestation and vocalizing what I want mm-hmm. and telling the universe and I in the shower I said I'm the publisher of Who What Wear Australia uh-huh. in the morning every day because it was such a I mean, those sites are just my life and I love them and I'm so proud of what we've done and I was such a huge fan and so having the opportunity to launch them, I was like, this cannot be real, this won't happen, this can't happen to me, Mm. like this is too good Mm. and so I kept thinking all of that time, someone's going to take it away from me, Mm. we're going to get outbid or whatever it might be and, you know, thanks to my CEO, he's a good closer, (laughs) got that deal. And then when, yeah, when my publisher decided to focus on her young family, the conversation my boss and I had was, cool, so you're on for all four. And I was like, okay. I guess so. I, I said it in the shower. Let's do it. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um, and then, yeah, that was, we launched Who What Wear nearly three years ago. And I've just been here hustling, growing, honing. I haven't looked up much. Like mm. I, um, it's a big job. It's a really, really big job and it was my entry into leading as well. So mm. I've had a lot of stumbles through that and only really can I sit here today and say I know what I'm doing mm. and I feel like I'm good at what I do. I think I am true to the leader I wanted to be. It took me a long time to find that authenticity and leadership. But it takes a while. Like mm. I think we we want it to be straight away. But um mm. It takes a long time and you've got to make a lot of mistakes, really celebrate the wins I think as well, Mm. which I still need to do a better job of doing that Mm. because I love launching shit. So Mm. once I've done it, you're like, what's next? Yeah. 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 But um, really important, especially for the teams we have working on Mm. projects that we really like lean back actually Mm. and look at it and go, well, because we are achieving so much at rapid pace. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and so that brings me to... This oh, role. Where you are today. Oh, yeah. So going back to the manifesting stuff yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Have you always been kind of spiritual in that way? Or was that a bit of a journey getting to that point? Or you just started telling yourself things in the shower? Yeah. I guess I've always known that I believe in a higher purpose. So I've always felt like this isn't it us sitting around Mm. this table filming this is not it. But I guess I couldn't really get around it or under it or understand it. So I guess when you're younger, you don't really have the the life experience to analyze and interrogate your thoughts and and stuff like that. So I've I've always had really strong intuition. I access that now, whereas before I just was like, I felt that. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm like, what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What is that telling you to do? So, yeah, I guess I've always been quite intuitive. I've always been a big believer in astrology and I'm a true cancer and I'm a cancer rising Aquarius and the deeper I go, the more I'm like, oh, you could not get a more textbook mm-hmm. yeah. cancerian than me. <laughs> and so I've done a lot of reading around that as well and how I can access that to be better in my marriage, in my job, in my friendships. And then certainly the more I've extended myself professionally, the more I've needed to look inward because I haven't found that there's been a course or a very practical lesson that's helped me be better in any area of my job. It's been the better I know myself. 
think the better I perform actually and the more successful I've been. So that's the other thing is when you tackle the self-care and the self-discovery, you can't really switch it off once you get started. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, oh, fuck, enough. Like, yeah, stop. Like, get it now. Just fine. Stop thinking about it. Stop talking about it. Stop reading about it. But um, I'm obsessive like that as well. So I really like to know myself well. Since we recorded this interview, Alison has made a few big changes in her life. A couple of weeks ago, she announced she'd be leaving Allure Media after six years to pursue a slightly different path. Alison has just launched her very own podcast called Offline, a series of honest conversations with the women behind some of Australia's most popular Instagram accounts. For Alison, this has been a way to encourage women to live lives on their terms instead of producing a highlight reel. While we didn't quite get the chance to chat about this with Alison in person, we did ask what's next for her. I've been doing a lot of work in this concept of true self and when I'm sitting in my true self, who am I? Because I think we have this tendency to put a show on of like, okay, Mm. well, if I'm this young digital leader, I must have to be like this and look like this and sound Mm. like this and say these things. And I focused a lot on speaking with authenticity and trying to tell my story in a way that people can access it and for it to be valuable beyond just like work hard. And so I'm doing a lot of work in um, when you strip it all away, the title, the marriage, the friendships, the new Balenciaga boots, the bloody North Bondi life, Mm. all of these things that I've absolutely intentionally brought into my life and worked for and like I'm very big on, yeah, manifesting and writing down what I want. Mm. And I wrote all that down. I wrote mm. down the type of love I wanted, the man I wanted, the job I wanted. And you get to a point where you're like, oh, bloody hell, I did it all. Yeah. What's, <laughs> next? Um, what what's next? But also am I truly here and in this? Mm. Um, and does it still serve me? And am I still serving other people in the way I'd always intended? And I think I still am. I think I'm just hitting my stride as a leader. I'm really enjoying that side of my role and I certainly think at this point it's more people leadership than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very interested in platform publishing and I think it's really exciting how women are consuming content and how we think about creating engaged communities of women Mm. on the Mm -hmm. interwebs. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of the work that I've done for Alua Media and I'm still pretty obsessed with the brands I work on. I think there's a lot more to do. We have a lot of work to do. And, yeah, and then I guess in terms of personal life, I am not interested in discovering balance anymore and that's been really freeing for me. So I'm just trying to um, be very present in my life every day and I do find this question quite hard because I don't look, I don't have a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. I work in a quarter, which Mm -hmm. is probably more because I'm running a business unit. (laughs) Um, But I kind of live in three-month blocks at the moment and I like being there because I want to remain open to whatever may come for me, but I'm also very confident that I'm on purpose and that the universe has a path for me and it's going to present itself. So I'm in a real time of, yeah, observation and um, I'm very much enjoying spending time with my husband. I'm like, 
obsessed with him. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just do well and he's just That's a really great. great guy to be around. Um, so I like just being at home. I don't like, I'm not going out very much at the moment. We just like roll around Bondi. Yeah. Laugh a lot, drink a lot of coffee, have lots mm-hmm. of poached eggs. Uh, so I'm kind of satisfied with that actually, and I've been, um, I've been really trying to settle into this is enough, mm. and you are enough, yep. and just enjoy all of this amazing stuff that you've created for yourself. And I think your kind of work in the space of helping other women and showing a way forward is definitely coming to fruition because everyone that I've spoken to or everyone that we speak to, if we mention your name, it's only praise yeah. and mm. everyone How defines. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Instagram, lady.brains, and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening. <laughs>